0: let's hit headlines pain and pendergast with today's headlines brought to you by baywayjeep.com i'm gonna put this as our lead headline for the day because i feel like it needs to be marked um it's something that's gonna slide under the radar to a large degree and in a lot of ways because it's happening at a different time of year uh than than normally these things happen but Yuli Gurriel, a mainstay of the World Series era thus far of the Houston Astros, first signed at the end of 2016, um, has signed a minor league contract with the Florida Marlins. So uh, this is, this is a, a, a really cool stat that I saw from Astros and Toffee on Twitter, um, which I think is just some guy that, I don't know what that, the significance of that is, but... Um, <laughs> In the regular season, since Yuli was called up on August 21st, 2016, uh, the Astros have a winning percentage of 618. In the postseason, since Yuli was called up, they have a winning percentage of 611, which it might not sound like a lot, you know, by football standards. You might think, like, what? That's like going like 6 and 4. That's the equivalent of a, in the postseason, of a 99 win regular season. So, like, the Astros, ever since, that moment where Yuli Gurriel has come up in 2016, which wasn't a great year in the postseason, obviously. Um, but since then, they've gone like the equivalent of a 99-win regular season in the postseason. That's how just dominant they've been from 2017 yeah. on. Um, and Yuli has just done so many cool things along the way. I'm uh, I'm sad about this, and yet... I I guess we've just kind of gotten callous to it because we've lost so many beloved players over the years. But Yuli is a, Yuli was unique and special in a lot of different ways because he was this older Cuban player, uh, you know, signed to a pretty healthy contract, but in a lot of ways was one of the, one of the bigger risks that Luno had taken in terms of putting plunking down some money on a veteran player that people didn't really know what to expect uh, out of, and and obviously he was a machine for a long, long time.
1: You know, I, I just wonder how how Houston fans are going to feel at the end of the day if Yuli turns out to be serving in a utility role in Miami. Because yeah. a lot of people wanted Yuli, and I, I, to be honest with you, was one of them for a while this off season. I wanted the Astros to bring Yuli back and see if he could serve that utility role. I'm not looking for the guy to play shortstop or anything, but just given the uncertainty and small sample size of the guys that you have that are competing for that role, whether it be a J.J. Matajewicz or a David Hensley or a Mauricio Dubon or Gianni dia Pedro Leon, um, you know, we haven't seen anything from those guys, but I do know what kind of bat to expect from Yuli Gurriel. I, I look at kind of last year as kind of an anomaly. There was a great stat. You talk about a great stat, like they this guy Astros Toffee just basically made Yuli Gurriel the poster child for the rest of the team's <laughs> success, and that's fine. Yuli was a great player, but I saw an interesting stat the other day. It's like Yuli's got this, you know, even odd year kind of thing going on yeah. in his career. Yeah. Did you see that?
0: Yeah, well, I know. I mean, it has been uh, that, that's been kind of the uh, the storyline for a while. Yeah, that he's he's had a good year, he's had a bad year, <laughs> then all of a sudden, he comes back with a good year. And yeah. I
1: hadn't realized that, but I just wonder how Astro fans are going to feel if, in fact, like because the Marlins are kind of stacked already in the in the outfield with their utility players, their infield yeah. is kind of set first, in the DH rotations kind of already there with some guys they've acquired already this offseason. How's he going to work out there if he's a utility player? Are you pissed off if you're Astro fans? I, Would you have wanted that here?
0: I don't I don't think so just because even if even if Uli does have an astoundingly awesome year maybe he ends up being a full-time starter at some point I think if, the only way that people feel that way is if all of a sudden Abreu is a complete mess I think you know and then and then it mm. feels like oh okay wow you bailed on him when you when you didn't have to in terms of the entire roster I think you have to look at uh, the, the, not just Abreu but Brantley um, and the age of the entire roster—you don't want to have too many guys that might be on their way out or might be more injury-prone when you're already gonna be making concessions for Brantley, um, you know, and load managing him. So I'm—I I think I, I think everybody will be okay with it. I mean, this is what you have to do. The like, guys get old, and they're not the same guys anymore. Yeah. The thing with the thing with Yuli that I've wondered about is that he is like the godfather of Cuban baseball. And so many of these young guys looked up to him. And, and Yuli was one of the major factors in making the Astros such a, a mecca for, for Cuban players. Um, I think also though that I, I, I think sometimes maybe I've overstated that because a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Astros, when a lot of other teams were, not quite certain how to scout Cuban players, because Cuban players play a much more limited schedule in Cuba. Um, it's like a, it's a true part-time job there, you mm-hmm, know, and mm-hmm. it, it, sounds pretty badass, other than the fact that you don't get paid very much money and you gotta live in Cuba. Oh, if you got but, Japanese uh, <laughs> money
1: or American money, like, that'd That's be a right, sweet yeah. deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if they went and played in, if they went and played in Asia, then it's a different deal, obviously. Um, so the, the Astros were way more aggressive early on in signing Cuban players, and uh, and this was one of those things. And, you know, now, the, at any given time, the Astros have about twice as many Cuban players on their roster or in their system as the team with the second-most Cuban players. Like, it's been a big deal. So my worry was, okay, are you going to lose some of that allure or some of that name recognition if you don't have Yuli Gurriel, who's just an absolute legend to these young Cuban players? You know, you'll see with a lot of Cuban players, Sean, They'll, when they've got their buttons unbuttoned or they've got their, you know, their back pocket uh, uh, out and loose, like they're doing that because they grew up imitating Yuli Guriel. The Cuban baseball team <laughs> was very strict about guys. They were like George Steinbrenner, like, and making guys do everything appropriately except Yuli was so beloved that he got away with wearing his shirt and unbuttoned with having his back pocket out. So kids all over Cuba would try to do it, you know, and then their dads would have to correct them. Just
1: looking Um, like he'd played the game. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Like,
0: But, That he was that kind of guy. He was like every little bastard you see uh, chewing on his mouth guard, trying to emulate Steph Curry. That was uh, (laughs) that. That was these kids in Cuba back in the day. Yeah,
1: it just stinks for me because two years ago the guy was the batting champion. He was the batting champion. You know, I know it's like Justin Verlander's gone. He's the Cy Young Award winner and did so many great things statistically. From a talent standpoint, it doesn't hurt one lick. You know, it just doesn't. I I was more worried about it. Like you know, it's just. From a leadership standpoint, like he was just a fun guy. Like it, it, it like Yuli brought the fun. Yuli yeah. brought the fun yeah. to the Astros yeah. clubhouse, and you don't want to lose that.
0: Yeah, you gotta. We need more wacky hairstyles now. Uh, you are listening to KILT and KILT HD two in Odyssey Station. Next headline: The uh, NFL. According to Adam Schefter reported yesterday and many people since, the NFL is taking a fifth round pick from the Texans and fining them $175,000 for what the league believes is a salary cap violation and what Houston believes is an accounting error that dates back to Deshaun Watson's training during COVID. The Texans believe it gave them no salary cap advantage and they were simply paying $26,000 for Deshaun Watson to train at a local facility, the Houstonian, Well, theirs was closed during COVID. So, um they lose a fifth round pick which at times for the Texans has turned into guys like DJ Reader or Charles Amenhiu. It's nothing to sneeze at. Uh the money probably is something to sneeze at that $175,000, but it does Sean, this does seem to be hopefully blessedly like the last remnant of the Deshaun Watson Jack Easterby drama and yeah. you know this was i'll blame jack easterby and bill o'brien for this because this was done this was sloppy bookkeeping done well bill o'brien and jack easterby were were running the ship and i don't i don't think moving forward that mistakes like this will be made uh, not to speak to the whole other scandalous part about it but this salary cap part of it this was this, this is typical of what I had heard about the Texans' front office when Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby were running things. They just, papers weren't filed on time. People were clueless about actually how to operate things. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that yeah. they're, they're getting pinched for this. Now. Who
1: was the uh, capologist? Remember the Texans employed a capologist for years. Was it Chris Olson? Was that his name? Chris uh, Olson
0: got fired. By, that's, you know what? That's a very good question when was he fired um and or was he you know I I think there were times he where was Chris, I, I didn't know Chris he Olsen was fired on January 19th oh. 2020 oh so this would have been before covid yeah um yeah yeah well the, this
1: he was so he was fired in January 2020 this happened during the 2020 season so he was yeah. out like and the reason why I bring that up is because you know covering the team for so long so many years like that was a guy that People listening to us on the radio right now, they don't know who he is. Yeah. You know, they they don't know the name. But that was somebody that you knew the name of. If you were in the building, you covered this team on the regular basis. Like he was an incredibly well put together, very bright, smart guy. And Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby, doing all of these <laughs> things. Yeah, you know, it, it's like Brooks Cabina just said in relation to Matt Burke. It's like, okay, yeah, you've done this stuff with defenses before, and, but you haven't had success and you know, yeah, you've got all this experience, but the numbers say, like, hey, it doesn't work. Well, I've tried to do too many things before. Like, when you have your hand in so many things, are you really doing any one of those very well at all? Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby weren't doing anything very remotely well at all. And they needed guys, they missed guys like Chris Olsen. And I just hope that now Bob McNair, or, or excuse me, Cal McNair, you know, sees the value. In employing guys to do those, you know, sometimes forgotten or uh, you know, underappreciated jobs.
0: Yeah, well, I, no, I, I think I think you know he totally does. I mean, this is that's been the transformation of really that that period after Bob McNair passed away till when you know finally Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby, ultimately Jack Easterby, were fired. It was. um there was a there was a lot of wandering in the desert, you know. Mm-hmm. It really was, I think, uh, the the McNair's trying to straighten things back out and and run things like a normal NFL franchises run. And I almost like I've gotten past the point where I you know blame the boogeyman Jack Easterby. Jack Easterby was a guy who was allowed to be incompetent. You know, and and I think Cal McNair recognizes and understands that. But he was a guy who was allowed to to be incompetent and do a lot of things that he was not qualified to do, and Bill O'Brien was as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, Chris Olsen being fired when he was, you got to realize, like, that was, there were so many stories about, and and you could see this in the timeline of the way things were reported, Sean. uh, Sean Bajani filling in for Sean Pendergast. There would be a report that a player had agreed to a contract, and then weeks would go by before the actual contract contract was officially reported it was because <laughs> stuff just wasn't getting filed like it was it was like when it's like when Crazy. somebody dies, you know, and the spouse, like the spouse that dies, is the one that was responsible for paying the bills, and then all of a sudden the other spouse is just a complete mess afterwards because they don't, they haven't had to do any of this. <laughs> that's what the Texans were running like. It was like Jack Easter. It was like Chris Olson was the spouse that paid all the bills. You fire him, and then everything goes to
1: crap. yeah. You wake up in the morning, you go to turn the kitchen light on, and it doesn't turn on anymore, and it's like what yeah. happened? You didn't pay the electric bill.
0: Come on. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so hopefully that's blessedly the end of that. I'd gotten wind of that a a, a couple hours before it actually happened, and the way somebody explained it to me was that the Texans were going to get fined for their role in the Deshaun Watson scandal, Um, so it was errantly described to me. And I thought it was going to be more of that, like, that. I've, frankly, I thought it was an irresponsible New York Times article that acted like the Texans were, were enabling Deshaun Watson with the full knowledge of what he was alleged to have been doing. On with, brand. Uh, On yeah, brand. Yeah, with those, yeah, yeah. So, um, next headline, wide receiver Odell Beckham held a workout, or is holding a workout today in Arizona four NFL teams. The Giants will be one of the teams in attendance. Remember, Odell Beckham Jr. was having a really good game for the Rams in their last Super Bowl victory when he tore his ACL. He's looking to prove to teams right now that he's back and he's 100%. Um, I'm not expecting the Texans to be at this workout, and uh, nor, nor do I think they should be.
1: Uh, I fully agree with you. I am yeah. interested in the workout itself, though, and seeing what Odell Beckham Jr. looks like because, you know, he hasn't played football since what, like week 14 of the 2021 season, you know, something like that. It's been a hot minute, right? And the guy was just one of the most sensational receivers and being away from the game for a year plus, like you want to see what that guy looks like. He's what entering his age thirty one season, I believe, this year.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, thir- thirteen months removed from the the Super Bowl, so February of twenty twenty two. Yeah, um, where he'd had a, he had like three catches up to that point in the game, but uh, yeah, I know it's he's all of a sudden he's old and he's like an, he's an older wide receiver. It's interesting to me that the Giants are there because I mean that was the whole <laughs> the whole reason for his departure from the Giants was partly that all right like who's Who's this Daniel Jones kid and what's he going to do for a yeah, hey, junior anyway?
1: Now that they've committed, you know, the years and the money to Dan Jones, maybe, yeah. you know, that's a little bit more appealing. But uh, I, I doubt it. I mean, they're they're going to kick the tires maybe because they want to see what he thinks of their situation now versus when he left. But somebody's going to bite on it if he looks remotely oh, yeah. good. Yeah. And I'm here for that. I want to see OBJ back on a field this year.
0: Well, the last drama was in Cleveland where, like, remember his dad posted, like, the video of, was it the video of Baker Mayfield messing up oh. or whatever? His, his dad had released a video that <laughs> was pretty critical of Baker Mayfield. Yeah, um, I do remember that. You know, you look at it in hindsight, and there were all kinds of arguments people were having at the time of, like, well, Odell Beckham Jr. isn't precise enough a route runner, and that's why, that's why Baker Mayfield can't make it work with him. I don't. Yes. I don't know, man. It's it's harder to it's harder to buy an argument about Baker Mayfield uh, uh, not being the issue right this moment. Um, and exactly. It, you know, so I, I. Yeah, I think some team that's close or feels like they just need to be pushed over the top uh, might be the team. The Giants, so too. Remember, the Giants made the playoffs this year in a year where they. Really went into the season with no expectation of it. They were yeah. clearing salary cap space. They have a ton of cap space right now. They have more than the Texans do. Um, and like they'll probably be pretty. If I'm not mistaken, they'll they'll probably be pretty aggressive. Uh, next headline. This is actually Sean's had this in the in the rundown for a week, and I feel like maybe it's some kind of psychological denial that's keeping him from. From reading this headline, (laughs) so I'm just going to go ahead and do it with you because I know didn't want to
1: depress everybody. uh,
0: Most stressful city in America in which to work, according to a study by LLC.org. That sounds like somebody a place that knows about work uh, lists Houston as the most stressful city in which to work because workers in Houston clock in an average of. 39.5 hours work weekly. Uh, That just sounds too much in a 40-hour work week to be working 39.5 hours (laughs) per week. Uh, But that's above the national average of 38.7 hours. And the average time for a Houston employee to commute to and from work is 52.8 minutes. Yeah, and that's it right there. It, yeah. The,
1: the work numbers are irrelevant. I mean, the fact that people are getting away with 0.3 fewer hours during a 40-hour work week is yeah. just ridiculous. So get to work, people. Do Be better. <laughs> okay, that's number one. But then, two, it's like, okay, everybody's gripe in the city of Houston for decades has been the commute. Yeah. And I get it. It does suck. In that that is that has nothing to do with work, you know. It is going to and then getting home from work. What about work? Like I, a, I thought, yeah. like Houston had at one point in time, like the most companies in the city limits that were like the best places to work.
0: Oh, really? Oh, you know what? Maybe because a lot of that is is te- companies have fled for the suburbs. Maybe a lot of those cush jobs with lower commute times. Uh, have you know moved up to the woodlands or out ah, to Katy? That's where it gets tricky too in calculating this. I don't know if they're going by metropolitan area or city limits. Yeah, yeah. Because, and now especially, because if you're working in, now, unless you've moved back in, I mean, a lot of people that are working in the city are working those hours, plus they're driving in, you know, 45 minutes from work. Frankly, as a sports radio host, um, I don't know what all of you are complaining about with your long commutes. (laughs) You're obviously delighted and entertained. This is why, this is why
1: Pendergast never brought it up because you could literally walk to work. (laughs) There's yeah. no
0: community yeah. for him. Yeah, when I lived in League City, it's funny. I lived in League City and I the drive in was no big deal because I would drive in at four AM and I would just fly in and I'd listen to podcasts. You know, fly in at the uh, appropriate speed limit, of course. But uh it was no big deal. But God help me if I if I tried to head back home anytime after eleven fifteen AM because then it was all and then oh, and then if I had to come back the double commute was what ultimately killed me in League City. Because if I came back for an Astros or a Rockets game, yeah. I'm like, wait a second. I'm going into the city during rush hour, and it's just as bad. And then when I leave, I have to go back. That was where I uh, – It's yeah, it's a whole lot of your day that you sit thinking about – Boy, I could really be doing other stuff. With yeah, all this we're time. getting a
1: lot of texts, like people driving, you know, 50 to 55 hours a week, going woodlands to Baytown. People are texted in. Like, I, I feel it. All right, maybe that's contributing to the uh, 0.3 differential in hours that you're supposed to be working during a 40 hour work week.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, Seth, give me a break if I'm a couple minutes late because I was <laughs> stuck in traffic. But exactly. I was, because uh, I had to drive down the I 10 corridor between. Gosh, it was like between Derry Ashford and Wirt, where it's like impossible. (laughs) You can go, you crawl along. I remember, I used to live over in the memorial area, and I remember like I used to have to drive from, uh, like Chimney Rock there to, out to Derry Ashford sometimes during rush hour, Mm -hmm. and it was just miserable. Least stressful cities in America. If you're gonna flee Houston, uh, Madison, Wisconsin is the least (sighs) stressful. Good old
1: Wisconsin. Every commute
0: is 37.4 I was, minutes. I thought
1: you were going to throw out a South Dakota, North Dakota. It's pretty close.
0: The closest to <laughs> that would maybe that. be like Fort Collins, Colorado, Minneapolis, uh-huh. Minnesota, and Providence, Rhode Island, which I feel gets a bad rap just because most, most people only know Providence from um, the old basketball league uh, team that, that Manute Bowl played for, and oh, then also um, uh, from Dumb and Dumber. Like, Providence doesn't look like an awesome place (laughs) where Lloyd and Harry start off in Dumb and Dumber.
1: That's an unfair, you know, like, option, you know. Like, I I don't want to know, like, you know, best places or least stressful. Like, give me the least stressful major city. I'd have to believe Houston's probably one of them if you factor in, like, okay, maybe LA's maybe an option. But I've never been to LA, so I don't know. But LA, Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, you know. Amongst those cities, like if you want to throw in D.C. or something like that, like Houston would probably be like. Just my gut tells me one of the least least stressful major cities to to, to work yeah,
0: in. Yeah, the uh, it's not as intense on like a, a a mile by mile basis. I think once you get to where you want to be, it's not as big a deal. It doesn't feel like you're just overcome by you know concrete canyons or i mean anything. we have
1: traffic here but you don't have la traffic you know you don't well, have to deal with subway and walking everywhere like you do yeah. in new york you know chicago you know and there's a lot of walking and yeah you know, they get the rail system there all over the place i mean that's that just visited, what i was thinking
0: whenever i visited new york city like in the summer when it's hot and it's like a few degrees hotter than the surrounding areas because it's just because <laughs> there's so many damn the big old greenhouse um that sucks. Like if I had to wear a suit in Manhattan because it's not like you're it's not like Houston where you can drive, you know, where we don't people from other cities come here and they're like, "You drove a quarter mile." And I'm like, "Yeah, I didn't want to dehydrate." you yeah, idiot. What am I going to do? Sweat through my suit for uh, for that quarter mile of course I'm driving my ridiculously large exactly. truck. To a uh, to a big parking garage. Uh, one of the big things in here was that uh, a pretty high percentage of Houstonians don't have health insurance through their jobs. So that's uh-huh. uh, which is stressful, as you know, if you've ever. Uh,
1: I'm I'm there now. Yeah, I'm there. It are you is. health
0: insuranceless?
1: Uh, not health insurance-less, but through a job. Like, oh well, you know, yeah, like yeah, you have yeah, it yeah. outside yeah. now, and that's yeah, a, that's a pain oh, in the butt. Geez, I yeah. I went through that like this past week. Is I had to get my eyes checked or whatever, and my doctor accepts my insurance but the actual physical place does not and i said well how does that work like do i need to go to his house and he can see me there and my insurance will be that. accepted like yeah. it's just this mess that i'm i'm ping-ponging around with these insurance companies trying to figure out what's what
0: uh jets fans are exuberant as hell over the prospect of aaron rodgers coming to their team i got to tell you Sauce Gardner said something that makes me feel like this really might be a disaster brewing in New York. That's coming up next. Sports Radio 610 presents Pain and Pendergast. Hey, <laughs> ben, ben Gary, our producer, was... Uh Saying, all right, here we go. All right, you're up. And I'm like, yeah, it's time for uh, Sean Pendergast to start talking. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Sean Bajani in studio today replacing Sean Pendergast because Sean's on vacation. Sean, Sean scheduled a bunch of vacation, told me about it. I promptly forgot about it like two seconds later. So it's, uh, it's always a, it's a shock and a surprise to me when, uh, a couple days before he leaves, like, oh yeah, you remember I'm out. Uh, yeah, week. well now you
1: got the weekend to forget too because it's yeah. you and me on Monday too. That's
0: right. Yeah. It's uh it's been delightful. You and I both showed up wearing matching under armor gear and <laughs> uh <laughs> despite not getting any endorsements for it. Hey, and, it's uh, all good. <laughs> I, um I
1: was laughing this morning. Seth texted me, he goes, Um, Hey, do do I need to let you in? And I'm like, No, <laughs> I I still have my key fob like I'm rarely here, but I, I do have a key fob. I haven't reached like Milton from office space status yet where they keep me in the basement. Or something like that.
0: I, I'm still in COVID mode where, like, everything... Like, no procedure still... It still seems like no procedure seems to work exactly the way it was designed to. And <laughs> people are still blaming COVID for it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It we're like, yeah, It's been, like, well over a year since all this is... Since the things got back more to the normal.
1: COVID time warp is real, man. Like, yeah, it, that's it, true. It could be yeah. three years. It could be five years. And it feels like, you know, a few months ago to me. Or vice versa. It's nuts.
0: I haven't... um it's uh, it's not getting me out of obligations the way it once was, which is uh, <laughs> it's not getting me out of like I guess meeting up with people. Um, right. Aaron Rodgers. Speaking of COVID, uh, Aaron Rodgers, who looks like a heavy favorite to go to the Jets right now, at least according to Jets fans, who are who are lining up at betting windows and or gambling apps to bet on the Jets to win the Super Bowl. They're 16 to 1 now, where they had been like 50 to 1 just a couple weeks ago to win the Super Bowl. Um, it's, it's being reported, you mentioned this earlier, Diana Rossini said at this point it, it's going to feel like a big disappointment if the Jets don't land Aaron Rodgers, which immediately made, think, made me think of the Giants and Carlos Correa, um, or, or the Giants <laughs> yeah. and Aaron Judge, the Giants and anybody, the New York, the uh, San Francisco Giants. but um, Or the
1: Mets and Correa.
0: Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so, Sauce Gardner, yeah, that's, you're right, that's a lot more relevant, except the Mets already had a huge plunder. You know, like the Mets already yeah. had their huge free agency plunder, where with the Jets, they're kind of hanging everything on Aaron Rodgers showing up. Um, so Sauce Gardner was on his Twitch stream, apparently, and Zach Rosenblatt, at The Athletic, reported that. You, you put this in the show rundown, thank you. Uh, that if Rodgers joins the Jets, quote, it's package deals all over. I can't tell y'all who, but just know. So package deals all over would seem to imply that Either Rodgers is bringing some people with him, or there's guys out there, like, I don't know, an Odell Beckham Jr. or somebody else that's just saying, because there's not a great year for wide receivers in free agency. Odell Beckham Jr. is a name, but he's got to prove himself healthy. Um, So it's either that or, and this is where I'd be really, really nervous if I were a Jets fan, and Sauce Gardner. Sauce is still young in this league. Defensive rookie of the year, but I don't know if he quite knows the deal yet. The guys that Aaron Rodgers has mentioned – about wanting to keep together are guys like Mercedes Lewis, uh, Randall Cobb, former Houston Texan, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Alan, Lazar, Alan Lazard, and tight end Robert Tanyan. That's right, the Tonster. Um, not to mention David Bakhtiari, who actually would be like a, a good addition. The problem is he's not actually a free agent. Right. So maybe they're talking about trading for Bakhtiari. But I, man, this is what I'd be really worried about if I were a Jets fan. It's like, you can't, you can't be like some of the, you know, various NBA superstars over the years that have thought, yeah, let's get all the old guys together and it'll exactly. be awesome. Exactly. The last thing the Jets need right now is Randall Cobb and Mercedes Lewis. Not, you know, they it just doesn't make any, it doesn't make it, if that's what they have to sign up for in addition to giving up draft picks and a whole bunch of money, 50 million guaranteed this year, I'm not so sure that this is the right move for Robert Sala.
1: Yeah, and I I kind of agree with your fir- the first thing that you'd said. Like, it could mean that these guys would go with Rodgers to New York, but it also yeah. could mean like if you just take it, you know, word for word with what uh, Gardner said, it it's package deals all over. Like, you know, there are other free agents that. Maybe they'd played together somewhere else that Rogers has a good familiarity or relationship with that would join him in New York. Like it doesn't just have to be guys from Green Bay, but they all have, you know, this, I mean, you have, you have relationships, you know, if they, if you share the same agent, if you work out of the same place, or, you know, if you're from the same town or you frequent the same vacation spots or whatever it is, whatever relationships they are, I think it could be probably more so that as opposed to, you know, the Green Bay thing, but the green bay thing i'm thinking about this right now like we know the tensions that exist between green bay and aaron rodgers it's like we we don't know what rodgers teammates also feel about green bay and i don't right. know that you would yeah. want to bring a lot of those similar mindsets the negativity you know to new york like you want people to be excited you want you want when you land an all-time quarterback and a guy that still has some stuff left in the tank and wants to you know when, and maybe that's what this darkness retreat was all about. Like he's kind of getting ready to reinvent himself, and he's like, you know what? Like, yeah, I'm gonna show up to everything for my new team. Like, I'm gonna show them that I'm the guy that I'm ready and that I'm reinvigorated. You don't want to bring all the baggage with you,
0: right? Right. Yeah. That's um. I I don't know. It's uh, it's gonna be fascinating. I th- I think that the best thing about the Jets Aaron Rodgers dynamic is that. It's going to be a huge story, one way or the other, and one that, like, usually some national stories I just don't care about. Like, once I didn't follow Tebow around necessarily or care about all of that, this is going to be either one of two things. It's either going to be really fun and exciting for Jets fans, or it's a disaster. And there's no in between because if they're a mediocre football team, and they're sub playoff caliber, then it's a disaster because you're going to give up draft assets, you're going to give up a huge chunk of salary space, your, uh, your salary cap space. You're gonna, you know, expire some guys' contracts who are still on their rookie deals. So it's one or the other. And I think that, you know, given the way that Aaron Rodgers played last year, and not to mention the fact that he's he hasn't seemed to actually enjoy, I guess, playing football, or despite going on. Pat McAfee's podcast every week. He doesn't seem to enjoy being in the media limelight. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm i fascinated by this. I, I feel a little bit guilty that I'm actually as engrossed in the Aaron Rodgers to the Jets saga as I am. Yeah,
1: you just mentioned it and we just got a text message. Rodgers in NYC. Yeah, that's going to go well. What could go wrong? Like, yeah. you just mentioned it. Like, does he seem like that type of character personality that would thrive? In such a media-driven, you know, the the lights are always on you. The questions are going to be coming. Does he seem like he would thrive in an environment like that? And the answer is no.
0: Right, And because here's the thing. If he goes to play for the Jets, who are based in New Jersey, by the way. They used to be based in Long Island. Now they're based in New Jersey, which you can get out into some really nice country, like a half hour outside of the metropolitan, like the New Jersey suburbs of New York. I feel like he needs to get himself a nice spread out in the country and commute into work every day and just and, – but, like, be out in nature somewhat. And this is – and I can tell with him sometimes when he responds to media reports, I can tell that he hasn't read the actual story. He's had – he's read the reports about the reports. And, <laughs> and that's where I can tell – like I've got a good sense for this. I know which guys genuinely don't read the press clippings and which guys do and which guys are getting it from their buddies who are, who are feeding it to him via social media. Aaron Rodgers is very much get it, have it, like reading the stuff that people send to him. He needs to get those people to shut the hell up about it because there's times yeah. where I can tell he'll call some writer of an article an idiot when in fact the writer was correct in what she or he was saying, and it was, like, what people... The the conclusions that people drew from the article that were inaccurate. Yeah. But he's, like, calling the... So he's, like... He's at a very remedial level of actually consuming media, and, like, he's at the very... He's like at the like the social media level of knee jerk. I'm going to be angry immediately, and that does not jibe with his newfound psychedelic lifestyle. Yeah, stop he's getting all the dead spin all
1: reports it. and the Heavy coms. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah, you know, go, yeah. go or to dream the of Florio believes, you know, when Florio reports something, he kind of puts his own little sneer to uh, it every time, and it's just yeah, it's not the exact thing that he said. Okay. This did get me thinking because you are, um, you know, you're very knowledgeable about the Rockets, which is a hard thing to do in these, in these troubled times. What, what do you feel about James Harden coming back? Since we're talking about possibly reuniting with old folks, um, what about James Harden coming back to the Rockets? I hate the idea
1: for okay. the reasons that most people I would have to imagine around here do as well because um, the divorce, you know, him forcing his way out but also the influx of young talent that you have on this roster right now, is James Harden the right guy to you know, take this locker room, lead by example, you know, get these guys focused on ball every single day? I mean, I could yeah. name a million other guys in a better position to do that. Now, Eric Gordon wasn't that veteran leader that you needed to take this locker room either. Okay, but there's a huge stark difference between Gordon and Harden, but it's the same result, and there is no leader at the end of the day. I am hearing, though, that there is a lot more to Harden to the Rockets than meets the eye, um, to be quite honest with you, and it is family-related. So um, the fact that you know this is has been floated out there, what is it, like three months old now that this has been out there? Maybe not even that. Uh, Maybe a month and a half or so that this report first came out that Harden would consider a return to the Rockets. I think it's a lot more real than people are giving it credence to.
0: Yeah, that's um, and and that is interesting, too, because I've been skeptical of that. Um, And I think sometimes like I, I say this myself, like, look. Once you're at that caliber where you can just hop in a Gulfstream on your NetJets account uh, to get anywhere in the country you want to be, uh, like I feel like the geography doesn't matter as much. But the fact of the matter is that, like, uh, that's easier said than done. Yeah. Uh, you know, just hopping on a Gulfstream, uh, and that geography does matter, and that that Harden might be at that point. I don't. I guess. I guess what I need to know is: Yes, he has become more of a genuine enabler um, or facilitator this year with the Seventy ers You know, he's always been great with his numbers on assists, but it hasn't been as a genuine facilitator. Where now he understands that Embiid is the guy, and he's going to be a facilitator. But I guess the question is: But has that has that also translated into him being? The kind of guy that you look at is, oh, yeah, I want that guy molding my younger players. Does he have that extra, like, uh, whether Chris Paul or some other quality to it?
1: You know the level of importance and his needs and wants personally as a player on the court. So that's going to have to be adaptable if, in fact, a return, um, you know, came to be. But also, too, like, if we're just being real, the guy needs to have changed as a person. Like as a professional, at the end of the day, really is what we're calling. He needs to have changed as a professional, as a guy that you know is not frequenting the clubs on a nightly basis, not living that life that he did, you know, when he was here at his peak in Houston. You have a different roster. You have a team that is in a going in a different direction, and they're trying to get back to the place in which. You know, you'd left it, you know, a year or two prior to his departure here in Houston, where you were just a hamstring away, you know, from an NBA Finals trip, and you were, uh, you know, making regular runs in the postseason, or at least a threat to make a run in the postseason. He has to, he has to have changed as a person, and I'm just, I'm not hearing that that's necessarily the case, and that he's at the stage of his career in which he wants to take a step back. Um, as a player on the court. So I I just think it's a horrible idea. I think it's a horrible fit, and I have to believe that Tillman Fertitta, when this whole thing is said and done, there's going to be some new decision makers uh, for the Rockets going forward with this young talent because you said it to me during the break. At some point, these dudes are going to have to start playing better basketball
0: and winning games. Just, yeah, like there's no, you can have all the veteran leaders you want. Like, you, you got to win games at some point, too, yeah. to actually understand what it means to play successful winning basketball. Uh, good stuff, Sean. Sean Bajani in for Sean Pendergast today. The uh, New Texans coordinator spoke on Wednesday. They said a couple things, Bobby Sloak and Matt Burke did, uh, They got me genuinely excited. But then there comes Florio basically being the Homeowners Association president, trying to get the Texans in trouble. I, I am besides myself with uh, almost genuine rage over Florio uh, trying to get the Texans in trouble. I'll, I'll play you what he did. It's disgusting. Next. Live from the Twin Peaks studios, Sports Radio 610 presents Pain and Pendergast. Sean Pendergast is on vacation, so I've got Sean Bajani in with me today and Monday, and uh, this has been fun, because Sean and I have known each other for over a decade, but this is the first time we've done a show together, and it's uh, it's been a blast, buddy. Yeah,
1: I've had a lot of fun. This is the first time that we've spent really any marked time together. Like, we sit next to each other, usually at uh, Texan home games, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, when you were doing the show yeah, back actually- in the day, even with Meltzer, it's like, I was... Up here very rarely, so you would be here. I wouldn't come in until late at night and do the night show. So, uh, good that's to see a, you. Yeah, man. that's
0: a really good point. I guess. Yeah, now that uh, now that we're saying that, it sounds like uh, people are people at home are probably like, "Well, these guys don't like each other at all." <laughs> Couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> Couldn't be. Sean still likes me because he hasn't spent that much time around me. It's so, so funny, dude.
1: Like people. People don't understand like in radio, it's like you think everybody knows each other. We go out, drink, eat all the time. It's like, no, like I've worked here for 17 years and there's still like (laughs) two people I've never worked with and I never interact with. It's Sean Pendergast and John Lopez and Lopez lived like two seconds from me before he'd moved back into the city recently. And, uh, my lone interaction with Lopez outside of the state, uh, station was that he almost, uh, T-boned me going into the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot one time and he didn't know it was me.
0: <laughs> did he, what, did he flip you off or was he ob- oblivious to No, it, he just, 100%.
1: 100%. Barreled into the parking lot like he owned the joint and I'm trying to get out of there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to tell that story at his son's wedding on a Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> he,
1: he doesn't even know the story. Like I've never, I've never talked to him about it because I never see him.
0: Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll leave it alone. Okay, so um, Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator, and Matt Burke, the defensive coordinator, uh, gave their introductory press conferences on Wednesday, and I usually find those things boring as hell, uh, and especially I think I still will during the season because usually the coordinators are terrified of pissing off the head. Coach coach by giving away something with a game plan or something. <laughs> so yeah. I you know, I think A, these guys aren't yet terrified of D'Amico and B, there's nothing to give away really right now. Sloic wasn't really all that forthcoming about what they were going to do on offense, but I'll, I'll give you a, something that Slowick said that Florio couldn't find fault with that I got excited about. And then uh, after that, I'm going to give you something that Sloak said that uh, Florio decided to try to you know <laughs> be the homeowner's association about. But here's this is uh, Bobby Sloak describing what the offense will be like. You know, a lot of the scheme is you have a system, you have a philosophy. Um, and for us at the Texans, it kind of is a whole team. It's
1: not just one specific side of the ball. You know, D'Amico always says, swarm. That applies to offense also. Everything we want starts with, are we fast, are we physical, are we tough? Um,
0: and that, again, is when you turn on the tape of our offense, that's what you want to see. That should be the first thing that jumps out to you. Um, so I got excited about that because immediately I think of the San Francisco offense, and it's a, it's a fast, physical, tough bunch. They bully people. Obviously, you got to have the right guys that are capable of bullying guys. You don't want to be like the kid who gets the advice to stand up to a bully um, and then goes up and stands up to the bully and gets his ass kicked. Yeah. Uh, you want to actually be capable of beating up other bullies. I got excited about that because one of our listeners had said, Hey, Bobby Slowick said... He's, he used the word precision a couple times. Is that is that like code for finesse? And I would say absolutely not. I think like... It would be code for, hey, I got a really good overhand right. I'm going to practice it a million times so I can be precise with that overhand right and break your orbital bone with it. Ah, that's, um,
1: that's, that's funny that you, you look at it that way because when I heard that you know, word, he, he, you're right, he mentioned it a couple of times, precision. I looked at it as like, what, remember what they do in San Francisco? There's yeah. a lot of pre-snap motion and you have to be precise in your movements with yeah. the speed with, you know, getting upfield, getting out of your break if you're a receiver or a running back out of the backfield, holding a block just long enough if you're an offensive lineman before you release, knowing what your quarterback is going to do. Like that's immediately what I thought of instead of like, you know, maybe the more specific type of things that you're talking about. Well,
0: no, I guess I think we, we actually probably were thinking about the same things, but, but just because you coach defensive backs and I'm in alignment, I I, we were thinking about him from our, our own uh, perspectives. Oh, yeah. I, I think because the other thing that he said was that, it, it, or maybe it was Burke that talked about this, was just like to play fast, you got to know what the hell you're doing. Yes. So yes. Sirianni was talking about in his weird press conference at the beginning of last year. So with that precision – comes the violence and comes the physical play. Yeah. Versus, I, you know, one of my big complaints with Bill O'Brien, really the entire time he was here and multiple different offensive linemen they've agreed with me after they've left the Texans was that there were times it was just too hard to understand what the hell you were supposed to be doing on any given play as a Texans offensive lineman. And it's really hard to be – tough, smart, dependable when you don't actually know what your responsibilities are from week to week. Yeah. So you you don't get that with an um, offense like this if it's executed properly. So this next answer wasn't anything I got excited about. I wouldn't have even played it. I didn't play it yesterday when we had the audio because this is Bobby Slowick being asked about Jimmy Garoppolo and Bobby Slowick then responding with a pretty boring, you know, just milk toast quote about Jimmy Garoppolo and free agency in general.
1: We have a process and everything we go through, and that's roster construction as far as free agency, as far as guys we already have here, as far as the draft, just everything together. We have a process we go through. Jimmy, obviously, is part of that process. He's going to be a free agent. Um, and, you know, we grind through that as a coaching staff. Listening to that audio right there, you know, it's literally nothing. Like, again, another boring non-answer. I didn't catch anything out of context, Seth. I I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And then Mike Florio, of course. Yes. Of course, yeah. the ears of the lawyer.
0: <laughs> this is this is Mike Florio. He played that clip on his show and then immediately followed it with this.
1: He committed a pretty blatant tampering violation. Thou shalt not, even though the 49ers don't care, they're not trying to keep him, right? They're not trying to keep him. They know he's leaving. But the way the tampering policy is written, that is a textbook violation. And the thing about tampering violations, they happen all the time. You never know when the NFL is going to decide to whack someone for it. But you're far more
0: likely to get whacked than not if you're doing it blatantly. I'm like, listen, all right, listen, Florio, we don't need your help on this, okay? I By the letter of the law, the, he might have something there. But just, just shut the hell up, man. This isn't a day in which the Texans got slapped for a fifth rounder right. for some stupid thing that an ex-employee did for Deshaun Watson. I don't need any of this. And I, I actually debated whether or not to even play this. But I, I do think that this is a guy being asked the question about a specific player, and then lumping that player in with every other potential free agent in the league. But he's so it the, wasn't, by the
1: by the written rule, right? According yeah. to this tampering law, is he not supposed to name the individual by I, name because I he said Jimmy? To, is that the violation? I,
0: I think you're not supposed to discuss any like anybody that's in in terms of like thinking about signing a free agent or professing admiration for a guy who's not yet officially a free agent even though he will be in less than a week um but i think the the difference here though is that he lumped jimmy garoppolo in with every other free agent that will be evaluated so i don't think he didn't it's not like he said hey we love jimmy and he's part of that process so i don't i like florio's an actual attorney formerly. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know why it didn't work out for him as an attorney. <laughs> might be because he's probably making over a million dollars a year now. But still, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he might have he decided to leave small-town law practice. Uh, I, I, I think we're fine. We're in the clear. We're not going to have to worry about that. We're not going to lose any more draft picks. But um, I do think there are a few other parts of that, uh, that press conference that really just got me genuinely excited. And a lot of it yeah. was that these coaches – you can tell like a lot of these guys, I don't want to call them deep thinkers. Sometimes that's a bad thing as a football coach or as a player. But they definitely think about like, the philo- their philosophies and how they think the game of football should be played. And it sounds like with Bobby Slowick especially, D'Amico has been with Bobby Slowick from the time when they were both quality control guys. So like they were both basically interns. Yeah, D'Amico had, had a great football career and everything, but he was starting from the bottom – as a football coach and learned a lot of the same lessons with Bobby Sloak along the way. So it, it feels less to me at first when Bobby Sloak was hired, it kind of felt underwhelming, like, oh, okay. So he was the best available guy from that system. And that's why they're bringing him in. After listening to people talk about it, it feels more like, man, Bobby Sloak and D'Amico Ryans have probably had conversations about this for a while. Yeah. And that like, you know, I don't, I don't want to say they're ride or die or anything like that, but I think that D'Amico, this is this is perhaps more of his hand-selected choice than, than we thought it was beforehand. My biggest takeaway
1: from that press conference the other day was just the language. I mean, you could tell right away that Casario to Ryans to Slowick to Burke, they're clearly all on the same page. And yeah. that's so important because we haven't heard that, we haven't seen that at any point over the course of the last three-plus years, really, if we're being honest, going back to even Bill O'Brien days. You know, with everybody being on the same page, and so I think the language and how they talk, their vision, their philosophy that they're explaining to the media, it it all sounds the same. But you are you are getting a lot more substance from these guys than you than you typically had in years past, and that's something that I enjoy. And I, for one, was you know, remote, pretty much excited about the Sloic because I think everybody's thought was like, man, if you could get somebody from the Shanahan tree, if this guy's the next, you know dude from that tree that just gets it that can coach his ass off like i'm here for that and it sounds like slowick is that dude
0: so a listener reached out this morning depressed over the fact that uh the texans don't even have any interesting free agents to wring our hands over possibly losing where with the astros we're blessed with a luxury of worrying about which guy they're going to lose and still win a world series championship the next year uh Trust me, I, I, will, I will at least take you partially out of your depression. The Texans have made a list, and they made a list in a good way. We hardly ever get that anymore, and it's starting to happen again. A good list uh, regarding a Texans free agent coming up next.